Before Keith comes to bring um, God's message to us, uh, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for all the, the children just now, all the kids who've gone out. Thank you for the life and the noise and the buzz that they bring to our family here. Pray that they'll have a great time in their own activities. Pray for the, the leaders and the helpers that give up their time to take those activities on a Sunday. I pray that it will be uplifting for both adults and children. Father, as we come to look at your word now and to think about this question, I pray that we can all find a contemplative place where we can think about these deep things. So much in life, Father, where we can just skim from one thing to another, just bounce off the surface. This is our time to go deeper now. Help us to do that, Father. And I want to pray for Keith as well. I know a lot of work goes into preparing a sermon. And I know that Keith's not feeling at his best health-wise this morning. So, Father, I want to pray that you would give him the strength he needs. Give him the encouragement. And, Father, for all of us, I pray that we will listen and hear and find a way to go deeper into those thoughts and those plans for the year ahead. We ask that you will speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Get up the music, please, Graham. Some some folk are getting this already. That's very good. <clears throat> I could just listen to that all day, but then you'd have to look at me. And today's topic is. Is there more to life than this? This tune is called So What? That's kind of another way of saying, is there any more to life than this? I listen to a lot of music, particularly fond of jazz. There's a story from the world of jazz, probably untrue. I like it all the same. The story goes that Miles Davis, the trumpet player and leader of this group, was speaking with John Coltrane saxophone player. John was explaining the difficulty he had when improvising solos on a saxophone. 
He was known for long solos. I mean long. He said, when I'm playing a solo, sometimes I just don't know how to stop. Miles is said to have replied, just take the horn out of your mouth, man. <laughs> Joking aside, I think we might learn something from this. If you find yourself praying out loud, we could probably lose the music now. It's still playing in my head, by the way. If you find yourself praying out loud amongst others and have said what you intended to say, just stop. Just take the horn out of your mouth with an amen, as it were. God knows what is on your heart and God bless you for wanting to share it. <clears throat> That's us speaking to God. What about God speaking to us? God speaks to us primarily through the Bible. The Bible says what it says often in a greatly understated manner. It can be beautifully economical, economically beautiful. But God speaks to us in other ways too. In my admittedly limited experience, I've been privileged to hear God speak words directly to me a few times. With me, he seems to use words of just one syllable. Is this because I'm particularly thick? I hope not. Anyway, I'll share one such experience from just a few weeks ago. I met with a recently bereaved friend who said he'd been having some very very odd, unexplainable experiences. I had chosen to go to some spiritualist events. And whilst there, he'd been hearing some very interesting things when he spoke with a medium. When he told me this, I heard alarm bells going in my head. But I desperately wanted to say the right thing to this man who'd been my friend for 35 years. For some reasons, I was struggling to find the appropriate words. Then, I heard God speak one word, which I shared with my friend. I said, I think God has given me a word for you. He says, bait. And that said it all. My friend was being tempted by the devil with spiritual bait. We went on to speak about spiritual things and I recommended that he went to an alpha when he got back to the town he lived in. I say this because an alpha is a good and a safe place to ask all sorts of questions. It's non-threatening and it's, a, it's just the right environment to pose questions, hopefully get a satisfactory answer. I recall another example of God speaking directly to someone. Audrey was on this search committee, the group that recommended we employ Andy. Audrey said that she heard God say to her, this is your man. She said it was the first time ever she'd experienced this kind of communication. Again, notice 
God used one-syllable words. This is your man. What does this tell us about God? I think it tells us that the ways of God can be profoundly simple and simply profound. Now you may find these examples intriguing, fascinating even. Spiritual things may really interest you, but the question remains, so what? Much of today's message is concerned with God speaking to us and how we respond. The Bible gives us many examples of God communicating with his people. But I thought we could look at Jonah in particular because of his response to God. A few verses from Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Jonah 2, I will refer to as the incident with the fish. I'm sure we're all familiar with it. Um, Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came, came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God bless his word to us. There are many serious messages in the Jonah story. Among them, there's the fact that God speaks to his people. There's the fact that God is sovereign. An obvious message in the story is that God has a plan and he wants to engage people in it. The Jonah story tells us that we should be willing to do what God wants. 
because his way is best. God is sovereign and he will have his way. You can choose to trust and obey or you can run and get thrown overboard during a storm, swallowed by a fish and vomited onto a foreign shore. I would venture to say that the school of hard knocks is not the only way to learn something. And Jonah comes out rather badly in this story. He's selfish and ungrateful. He does, however, have one thing I kind of admire. He is honest with God. He doesn't dither and sit on his hands, putting off a decision. He says no and catches a boat to Spain, of all places. So that at least is part of the story of Jonah. It is said that God cannot steer a parked car. In Jonah's defense, at least he moved. The question remains, so what? What are you going to do about it? Are you a parked car? Are our ears simply tickled by what we hear spoken and sung in this building? Or are we being transformed? Does all that happens here make our thought lives more colorful? Or are we being transformed? Are we catching a glimpse of eternity through a sort of window just now? Or are we being transformed? Why am I asking this? I'm asking because there has to be some purpose to us being the physical, spiritual hybrids that we clearly are. People have pondered the meaning of life forever. In 1646, the Westminster Shorter Catechism was written. It's basically a list of 107 questions and answers that were to be practiced frequently so as to learn spiritual truths and grow as a disciple of Christ. I've yet to find a better answer and of what it says on the meaning of life. Its first question is quite famous. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end, thank you Jim, is to, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I, I've never found a better, more concise definition of the whole meaning of life. Back to Jonah. Jonah didn't seem to be enjoying God or glorifying him. (coughs) I would suggest that for all his understanding of God's powers, he didn't really understand what God was all about. Is that us? Have we reached a plateau in our understanding? Are we not hungry for more? Or are we yearning for deeper fellowship 
with our creator? Do we want to enjoy him more? Or are we satisfied with where we are at? Do people look at you and immediately think good things about God or not? Believe me, I find myself profoundly challenged about this too. I think often about the 12 and the others who followed Jesus during the three astonishing years of his earthly ministry. I think his followers were intrigued by him. But more than that, I think they enjoyed his company. They loved just being with him. They loved him. In the end, many of them glorified him with their very lives. Do you, disciple, want that for yourself? I do. And if I don't want it enough, I pray God will make me want it more. Love for God should grow in a Christian. You don't just suddenly get a blob of it to last you your lifetime. I don't think it, just, it fills us from day one. When love for God does grow, it usually happens in stages or degrees, as Bernard of Clairvaux puts it. It seems I am unable to preach a sermon without a quotation from a French person who's been dead for hundreds of years. Bernard of Clairvaux has been dead for 900 years, I guess, just about. He describes the four degrees of love as he sees them. The first degree of love is love of self for self's sake. We love ourselves. I love myself. Not that I think I'm great, but I feed myself, look after my needs. In this way, I love myself, the first degree of love. A second degree of love, love of God for self's sake. In this, we love God for what he can give us, for what he can do for us. There's nothing wrong with this kind of love. We should be seeking him as a child seeks a parent. And we should be asking our heavenly father for things in prayer. But there is more. <coughs> there is more because God wants us to grow beyond where he is good to us so we love him or we love him so he's good to us. We are meant for more than that because we are made in his image. This brings us to the, the third degree of love. Love of God for God's sake. This is the place I wish to be more and more. Loving God and not expecting a reward. Unconditional love, agape love, 
i.e. the love that God has shown us. The love we are reminded of as we see the elements before us. The third degree of love is a place where a Christian can mature. And this is not just a theory. Often, I recall some of the clients of Sonny Bray, a residential drug and alcohol rehab I used to volunteer at. Guys would come in desperately needing to get clean of their habit. If they came in just for their own sake, or for the sake of their families, i.e. demonstrating the first degree of love, they would seldom last the course, or would usually quickly fall apart. They might reappear to get clean a second time, and may take the Christian message that is integral to the program more seriously. But they might only get to that second degree of love, loving God for getting them clean and restoring some balance to their lives, as it were. But when guys stopped at this stage, it seldom brought lasting change, and relapse would usually follow. Maybe a lifetime of relapsing. The second degree of love is not where to stop. But the guys who really got it and grew to love God for his own sake, these were and are the guys who did best. Not only were they far more likely to stay clean, they were far more likely to continue growing and to mature disciples of Christ. These are the guys whose lives have been radically changed. These are the guys who become reliable men, employees, fathers, maybe even pastors, missionaries, staff at Sunny Bray or other rehab centers. <coughs> this third degree of love is the place where I see a disciple really growing. Notice I use the word disciple, not Christian. Why? Because the word Christian actually only occurs three times in the New Testament. Whereas the word disciple occurs 269 times. A Christian could be thought of as someone who has arrived but a disciple is someone on a journey. Undo the handbrake. Journey with God. The fourth degree of love, as described by Bernard, love of self for God's sake, is I think beyond the scope of today's message, and partly because I don't really understand it yet. I hope to, but not yet. Back to today's message. Is there more to life than this? Look at it from another angle. A very basic level. Is humanity just about hedonism? And the survival of genetic material? In other words, are we just here to have fun and to breed? 
And maybe we'll go up an interesting spiritual sidetrack now and again. I don't think so. I think we are designed for far greater things than that. Because we are made in God's image. (coughs) But what of those who think we are just here to have fun and to breed? I've been there myself. Atheists, many atheists claim that our universe simply created itself. Or our universe is just one of a continuous series of universes that brew and bubble and pop up out of nowhere. To me, these series seem like desperate attempts to avoid acknowledging God. That implies that I think it's by far more likely that an external creative force made the universe. That means I believe in a creator. That means that I am a theist. That's maybe all well and good. Keith believes in God. But the question remains, so what? What do we do with this? If this is you, then what do you do with this? Simply believing God exists. If one is just a theist, there still remains a question of purpose. Why am I here? What's it all about? Etc. Etc. In other words, you're a theist. So what? What do we do with this belief in a creator God? I think we simply have to look at Jesus and consider the claims he made. To quote C.S. Lewis, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Yet again, I find myself quoting mere Christianity. Recommend the book. So let's assume you have decided that there is some truth in this God thing and you find Christianity a plausible worldview. If this is you, then that really is quite wonderful. It's wonderful that you are interested in Christianity. But what about us, the church? Where does the church fit in? Again, I think of our old friend C.S. Lewis and how he puts it. He says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men and women into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, then all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself, are simply a waste of time. God made man for no other purpose. We experience a kind of fellowship here, a sort of spiritual family. 
there is the horizontal aspect, but it would not exist without the vertical. This church would not exist if we stopped looking upwards, heavenwards, and continually invited our Lord to journey with us and communicate with us. So how do we hear God? Primarily through the Bible. When I was, actually, before I was a Christian, I had a flat, which had three shelves full of my books. My flatmate's girlfriend was studying librarianship. And she commented on my three bookshelves. She said, you seem to have a unique way of organizing your books. There's a shelf for big books. There's one for little books and another one for red books. She was right, it was true. The shelf of little books had this on it. I never intended to read it. I just thought it looked good. And I never expected this little book to turn my life on its head. But this is where I met Jesus. King James authorized version, I read the Gospel of Matthew, and I met Jesus there. It blew me away. This is where I heard God speak. Expect to hear from God. Expect to hear him through the Bible. Read the Bible yourself, daily. Search for Jesus there. It is a foundation for your faith. It is the best way to hear God because it is his living word. I have a lot of quotations coming up, which just proves that I don't have an original thought in my head, but these quotations are great nonetheless. Martin Luther. Scripture is the manger in which the Christ is found. Incidentally, Microsoft Word does not even recognize manger as a word anymore. So out of step with normality are we. And I'm okay with that. John Ortberg, he says, I have never known someone leading a spiritually transformed life who has not been deeply saturated in scripture. Charles Spurgeon says, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. (coughs) A great quotation from Tom Wright, or N.T. Wright as he's known. If we open ourselves day by day, week by week, to the message of scripture, its grand sweep and its small details and allow the faithful preaching of Jesus and his achievement to enter our consciousness and soak down into our imagination and heart. Then the admittedly uncomfortable work of God's word will be happening on a regular basis, showing us, as we say, where we really are, what's going on 
deep inside. And I will leave you with some quotations which are quite challenging to ponder over. Gregory of Nyassa, 4th century, but not French, he said, sin is a failure to grow. Pastor Mark Ritchie, I tried to find out more about him, I couldn't. He says, if your Christian life is boring, it's your fault. Jean Vanier, sounds French, but he was actually Swiss. Growth begins when we start to accept our own weaknesses. And lastly, two from Rick Warren. Nothing shapes your life more than the commitments you choose to make. And the greatest tragedy is not death, but life without purpose.